You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ramon Rivera. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my family and I, we've been coming to All Generations for about four years now. And uh, my wife and I, Aaron and I, uh, are active with the youth worship team on Wednesday nights. So if you don't come out on Wednesday night, uh, think about starting to come out. Make some time for it for sure. If you can open up your Bibles, uh, Matt asked me to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 47. He wanted to make sure I was up here for a while. Acts chapter 2, 38 through 47. If y'all can stand once you get there, and we'll uh, read this together. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks. Thank you, Ramon. I remember it was an August day in 1988. I pulled up to Jennings Hall in Brownwood, Texas, in the car that my aunt and my dad had helped me buy as a teenager. When I say helped me buy, they bought it, gave it. It was a Mustang, but one of those Mustangs they made in the 80s with the hatchback, and it was full of all of my possessions or whatever could go in there. And I remember pulling up and parking. I didn't know where my room would be for college, but I, I had actually parked right in front of it. It was third floor, Jennings Hall, room 316. And I remember the thought went through my mind, when did I decide I was coming to school here? I was almost confused. I believe it was a question from the Lord because later in my life, I realized he was ordering my steps. But I pulled up there not knowing what to expect in college. I was going to have a roommate who I'd known from grade school, but we didn't go to high school together. He had moved with his dad and family um, in sixth grade. So I was a little bit comforted by that, but I was moving uh, to a small town, small college. I didn't know what was waiting for me. Anybody ever been there? started in a new place. Maybe it wasn't school, just a new job. You know those uncertain feelings that you get? Well, I had plenty of those throughout that first semester and the first year. You just 
come from a place you're used to and where you know where your place is, how to fit in. You kind of know how things go, and now you're just thrown in at 18. Uh, very tall, slim, handsome, 18, in my case. <laughs> Ooh, it's even funny when I say it. Well, I had met some guys there. I met a man named Scott. He's a great friend of mine now. Tim was my roommate. And I began to meet people, and you're still, still trying to figure it out. And I remember doing some things that year where it kind of helped me fit in and doing some things like just being myself and being confused by people. I came from Lockhart. Me and the fellas used to run basketball at the intermediate. We had a certain way to talk and hang out, and that didn't always fit in at college. So I kind of had to learn new things. Have you been there before, learning how to fit in? I remember the difference between my freshman year and my sophomore year. When I talk to students that are going off to college, I say, hey, if you know and think this is where you're supposed to go, give it more than a year. Oh, don't I remember October and November when I was thinking, should I even be here? And don't I want to go home? And it would just be easier to go back to the house. And maybe somebody there would wash the clothes that are stacked up in my dorm room. But I hung in there mainly because of some good friends. And I remember driving up after the summer of my freshman year back to college to the same dorm but a different room. And I remember feeling so much different, like, this is my school. This is where I belong. The year had helped me to fit in. And my friends had helped me to fit in. I'd say Scott and Tim were probably my best friends there. But then there was this other group of guys that hung out and we played basketball together at the church gym down the road, and we played intramurals together, and there was probably 10 or 15 of those guys. But then there's also, when we would go to chapel, it was a, a church school, a Baptist school, there was also a whole community of people. So I kind of felt part of a big thing, and then part of a small group, and then I had my two best friends. And then I graduated from there, and now when I talk about Howard Payne, I just talk about it like, yeah, that's part of my life that changed a lot of me and who I was, and it was part of God's plan in the late 80s and early 90s. I'm dating myself. I graduated from high school at 10 and went to college at 10 and a half. That's not funny either, but I'm wondering as we take this uh, series of getting connected, I wonder if we find ourselves in some of those places where we're new to some people or to some places or to some things, maybe new to faith or new to the church or new to this church. And we're trying to figure out kind of how we fit in. Or maybe some of you, you've been here a while. You've been here for all of those 35 years that Craig mentioned. If you have, you can take more than one picture off the back wall. Maybe it's just common and normal and this is just easy and, and nothing seems out of place to you. And when someone comes in and can't find the restroom, you're like, how do you not know where the restroom is? Or how do you not know what this is? Maybe this is all real familiar with you. We've been doing a series called Get Connected and today I'd like to focus on getting connected to God's people. It was Tim and Scott, and then that larger group of guys, and then that larger group of friends that helped me connect in my college experience. And those connections have changed my life. Some of them were for a moment. Some of them are still important. Scott was at my house on Friday night to visit me and my family. He's so close to us that we call him Uncle Scotty. My daughters have been confused all their lives. They introduce him sometimes and go, this is my uncle, but he's not really my uncle, but we call him, and then it's a long story, and then it goes from there. I hope that as you are getting connected to God's people, that you find that 
Scott or that Tim in your life. You find that one person you can connect to in this journey, this Christian faith, and there'll be two or three. I see that in Jesus' life. He had Peter and John and James. They seem to always be with him, but then he also had the 12, a, a smaller group, but a little bit larger than the three. And then he had in the book of Acts, the scripture that Ramon read from, there were 120 in his group waiting for what he said was the promise, the Holy Spirit to be poured out. We need to get connected to God's people. The Bible says in Acts 2, 41, Ramon just read it, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The 120 that were waiting in the room in, the, in Jerusalem became 3,120, more or less, in just an afternoon. I'd like to review a little bit. What does it mean, those who believed what Peter said? Peter and the disciples had followed Jesus' instructions and waited in Jerusalem. He said, don't leave until God pours out the promise. They weren't waiting passively. It was an active waiting because they were praying. They were ministering to each other. They even elected another disciple to take Judas's place. The Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost Sunday. There was wind and fire in the room. You can read about it. We've been in this chapter for weeks now. People heard the good news of God in their own language. There were people from over 12, 13 different people groups in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit was enabling the disciples to speak in other languages. They were saying the good news about God in languages they didn't know, but so other people could hear them. And Peter then addressed the whole crowd. So people heard this disciple speak in their language. Another person heard that disciple speak in their language. But then at the end of that, Peter addressed the whole crowd. And he used scripture from Psalms and from Joel. Scripture from a thousand years before in the book of Psalms. From 800 years before in the book of Joel. And he explained to them that what they were seeing was the promise of the Holy Spirit. That God was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And the Bible says in Joel, on young and old. Any younger or old here today? Anyone? On all flesh, male or female. And He said He was going to send His Spirit. Jesus had told them it would be better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. It said when Peter began to speak, their hearts were pierced. You can be moved by someone who speaks, someone that can speak eloquently or well or drive a point home. They even teach that in school sometimes, persuasive speaking, where you try to persuade someone to think a certain way. But to have your heart pierced in the way that these people felt it that day, that has to be God. That has to be the Holy Spirit. In fact, in John 16, verse 8, it's explained to us by Jesus before the Holy Spirit was poured out, he said, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin. When they heard the preaching about Jesus from Peter's mouth, that, that Jesus had been crucified for their sin, they were pierced at the heart. Many people have heard that God loves them, but when the Lord speaks it by the Holy Spirit, it goes through you and into you. It's a different way than just a person saying it to you. The Holy Spirit would come to convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. So not just the bad news that we're in trouble and we need a Savior, but the good news that God loves us and He's just and He's coming to us as a Savior. And then He also says the Holy Spirit will speak of coming judgment, that it's not just about this life, 
But there's a day we'll stand before the Lord, and we need to be prepared for that day that we would be united with God and not separated from Him. The Bible says when they heard what Peter said, they were pierced to their hearts. And it also says that when they uh, heard that they believed, those who believed what Peter said. In Romans chapter 10, it says this. This is the message, the very message of faith that we preach. This is Paul, a few years later, preaching to the church in Rome through a, a letter that he wrote to them. But he's basically saying the same thing Peter said. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's believing in your heart that makes you right with God. And it's openly declaring your faith that you are saved. All the scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. It goes on in Romans verse 12. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. Now, I don't know how much you know about these races, but there was the Jewish race who God had shown himself to through Abraham and Sarah and said that he's going to make a great nation and they would be a people of priests to him and to the world. They would represent God to the world and the world to God. And everybody else apart from them is considered a Gentile. And the relationship, as you can tell, as it goes with the races even these days, wasn't that good. But in this, Paul is writing... And he says, in Christ and in the message of salvation, Jew and Gentile are the same. They're not separated, but in Christ they're the same. He said, they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what happened that day in the book of Acts. Peter preached, the Holy Spirit pierced their heart, and they said, what should we do? And he said, turn and save yourself from this wicked generation. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. He was quoting Joel earlier in that chapter. But how can they call on him? So now Paul is going to take it a little further. How can they call on him unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless they are sent? Paul writing to the Romans about how salvation works, that God offers it, and people respond to it, but people need to hear the message of salvation. That's what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Peter was speaking the message of salvation, and people were responding. Now, there were some who were like, man, these guys are crazy. They're probably drunk, and they weren't responding. Their hearts weren't pierced by the message, but others because they heard. If we're going to get connected to God's people, we come into that connection because we hear the message of God. We're pierced in our hearts. Something moves us different than maybe we'd heard it before. We're like, man, I need to respond. I need to do something. What do I need to do? And a lot of times we need just a little bit of help. Someone takes the scripture and tells us, you need to confess your sin. You need to repent. You need to give your life to the Lord. You need to be born again, we might say. You need to be converted. You need to be baptized. There's a lot of different phrases in the church world that we use, but they come from Scripture that tells us we need to not live our own life and we need to turn and receive Christ's life. And the Bible says, be made new. Well, that was happening on this day and 3,000 people were added to the church. In fact, it says that they were being added daily. God was building his church because people were proclaiming the message. The Lord is building the church. Jesus said it himself. I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Be encouraged. We have the great builder, 
Jesus himself. He's not contracting it out to subs. He's doing it himself, building his own church. And he makes this prediction, even the storms of hell, whatever you could imagine from the enemy and however destructive he can be, who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, his powers will not affect what Jesus is doing. He's building the church. The Lord is building the church, but he's building it with the participation of those who've believed in him. He started building the church from the 120 to the 3,000 because Peter and the other disciples spoke out and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's God's same method today that he does what only he can do, but he allows us to be part of the process. We can't do God's part. You can't pierce somebody's heart with your words. Have you ever tried to convince somebody something and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm not looking at my mom and dad today. How many things did they tell me? And I was like, oh, parents, now I is one. How many times have you been so sure and you told somebody something, man, you need to listen to me, but you can't pierce a heart. God pierces the heart by the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin and righteousness and of the judgment. That's the Lord's part, but they won't hear it if Peter isn't doing his part. If he's not proclaiming it, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, speaking about God and bringing Scripture into it. And I want to tell you, God's building his church the same way. Only you and I, we're Peter now. You and I, filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got to speak. But we need to be empowered by God so that we could speak the language of the people. It's the same truth. But how do you say that to someone who lives in 2022? It's the same truth, but how do you say that to the person who's lost this or gained this or experienced that? We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit changes the mind of the person, but God is committed to using his people in the process. I like to call it the family business, and you can see throughout history, it would have been easier if God would have just left people out of it and done it all himself, but he wants a family, and he wants relationships. And he wants you and I to be in his church and be building his church. He'll build it, but with the participation of us who are in it. How is Jesus going to build the church? Well, in 1 Peter, it says, You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. The metaphor of the simile that we are like a brick. I brought a brick today. Actually, my daughter brought it for me. I mean it as a compliment. When I say you're like a brick, not like my sophomore English teacher who told me my head was thick as a brick. I might just need a moment. Brick by brick, Jesus is building his temple. Have you built anything? You have grandkids or kids, or maybe you remember playing with Lincoln Logs. Anybody that old? You played with Lincoln Logs? Yeah. Or what about just regular blocks? You put the blocks together and you built this tower and if it was on your granny's carpet, it would never stay up because the carpet was like shag and it would go like that. How about Legos? They stay together better, don't they? But you can still pull those apart, Legos. And your grandma does not like stepping on Legos. Well, the Bible says you're like a living stone or a brick that God's building into a spiritual temple. He wants to use the metaphor, the simile of building. Bricks have to be bonded or the building's going to break. Bricks have to be bonded, or the building is going to break. I looked up a little bit of how they bond bricks. 
Brick bonding refers to the arrangement of bricks. This, if you set a brick like this, it's called a soldier. If you set it like this, it's called a stretcher. If you set it like this, it's called a header. Yeah, that boy's good. Well, I got the notes right here. Copy them straight off that. Usually, you put bricks together in an offset pattern. So if this one's like this, the next one goes like that so that the seam or the end of this brick, the end of the next one under it is right there. And then I looked up some pictures. There's all kinds of different patterns you can do, and they have a bunch of names, and I was going to show you pictures, but you've seen houses, and you know that on a house, it's different if the load-bearing wall is different. If the person building the house goes, oh, we're going to make a design, and we're going to put them this way or that way, and there's all kinds of patterns. And then if they're not on a wall, you can put them like on a pa pavers on the ground, and then you can do them any kind of pattern because they're not really having to support that much weight. They're just laying on the ground. Bonding has to do with the way the bricks are positioned, and it distributes the loads throughout the structure to achieve maximum strength. It ensures the stability of the construction, and it achieves a desired aesthetic. Oh, I'd like a row this way, and a row that way, and then a row this way, and that way, and this way. And the builder would talk to you if you want it that way and say, well, we've got to make sure it's going to be strong enough, but we also want to make sure it looks like you want it to look. And I'm thinking of Jesus positioning you and me together in the wall or the floor or the ceiling or the whatever of his house, his church, the house of prayer. Part of the bonding is so that the building doesn't get broken. You position the bricks the right way. Now, if you don't trust your builder, that's one thing. But who's building the church? Oh, it's Jesus, and we must be careful because sometimes the Lord lays us down in a certain position and we want to go, oh, I don't think that would have been the way I would have done it, Jesus. Could you move me over here? I really like to be over in this wall. And the Lord might say, oh, no, I have this, this dream for your life that I've had forever, and I couldn't wait for you to be born. I knew the day and the time. As the video showed, I put you together in your mother's womb. I have this dream. You've finally given your life to me, and now I have you in my hands, and I have a place for you. We can trust the builder, but you will hear voices that tell you you can't. Part of the bonding is so the building doesn't get broken. The Lord is building his church, and all bricks are welcome. Look what these verses say. The Lord isn't really being slow about keeping his promise, as some people think. This is in relation to the Lord's second coming. They're like, if Jesus is going to return, why isn't he back? This is why he's being patient for your sake. Because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. He's waiting for more bricks. There are bricks that are part of his church. That There's a wall that's not quite complete because your cousin, your aunt, your mom, your child hasn't come to the Lord yet. But the Lord's being patient because he wants all the bricks. It says, I'm the good shepherd in chapter 10. Jesus talking, I know my own sheep and they know me. My father knows me and I know the father. The relationship between Jesus and his sheep is the same as Jesus and his father. He says, so I sacrificed my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep too, and they're not in the fold yet. I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. There's some bricks that haven't gotten here yet, but Jesus has his eye on them. You keep praying for that person you're praying for. You keep talking to them when you get the chance. You ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you'll say it in the right way. You use Scripture and you use a life lived out for Jesus, but there's some bricks that are still coming. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save those who are lost. I just imagine a scrap pile of bricks over there on the side of the construction site. Oh, we've already done everything. And Jesus will go, no, 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 no. I'm going over there and getting that one. I came for that one. But I want you to also see yourself as the brick. Peter said to them, this promise is for you and for those who are far off. It's for your parents and your children. It's for everyone. There are some people in here, you feel like a brick. You might feel broken or just hard or difficult or a stiff edge. Like, I just can't fit in smoothly with anywhere. Or maybe you feel like you're the prettiest brick they're ever made. Or maybe you're like that special granite. Woo, porcelain. Don't say anything else, Matt, because you're running out of stones that you know what they are. I want to tell you this. Jesus is the builder. And whatever brick you are, he made you. And redeemed in Christ, you're the hope of glory. And he wants you in his building. And any other voice that tells you you couldn't be saved or you couldn't really be part of God's kingdom or they would take you as a brick, but they'd put you over here kind of in the wheelbarrow. That's not a true voice. The true voice is that Jesus is building you like a living stone into his church. But bricks have to be bonded or the building's going to break. There were 12 disciples. You may know him. Peter, he's strong-willed and courageous. He's a lot like all of us. He's quick to speak, and sometimes he gets it right, and sometimes he doesn't. He seems to be like people in our strength and our weaknesses. And Jesus called him. He said, you're a rock, Peter. There was Andrew. He was a disciple of John the Baptist, but he was looking for not John the Baptist who was pointing to Jesus, but he was looking for Jesus. So John sent him to Jesus, and he's the first disciple that Jesus called. It said that Andrew was crucified on an X, and and St. Andrew's cross has an X. Church history said he wouldn't die on a regular cross. You may have heard of the disciple John. He's known as the son of Zebedee, the brother, I'm sorry, the disciple James. He's John's brother. He was from Galilee. He was just a fisherman, just a fisherman. Jesus gave him and his brother the nicknames Sons of Thunder. Thunder. It's the thunder. Lightning. I got y'all right there, right? Y'all need to learn some church songs. No, I like that song, really. Lightning and the thunder. Jesus looked at them, called them Sons of Thunder, because one day they said, you want us to just call down fire on this city? Getting a little bit ahead of Jesus and his judgment. Maybe you feel like James and John. Everywhere you go, things start shaking and you feel like, man, I just don't even want to go to church because I just stir things up, get things going. I don't know if it's good or bad or I don't know if I'm the lightning or the thunder. I just want to be the peace or the quiet. There was John, his younger brother, also a fisherman. He wrote five books in the Bible. He's the last disciple to die. Philip was born in Bethesda and he was uh, referred to as the apostle. What did... um, as Philip the Apostle, because they want to keep his name different from another Philip who's in Acts. Maybe you feel like that. Everybody just gets you confused with somebody else. You're the brick that everybody goes, aren't you? And you're like, no, that's my cousin. Aren't you that? No, that's my brother. Aren't you the? No, that's somebody else. Maybe you're thunder or maybe you're just mistaken all the time. There's Bartholomew. He was known for being honest and was convinced by Jesus's greatness Because Jesus told him he saw him before he ever talked to him. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. You can read about it in John chapter 1. I want you to know this. You're a brick. You may be like one of these disciples, but Jesus has seen you before you ever knew Jesus was coming. He had his eye on you. Thomas, he's characterized as doubting Thomas. We kind of look at him and go, yeah, I feel like Thomas a lot. But did you know that on the way to heal Lazarus, 
Jesus said, I'm going back to heal Lazarus. And they said, you can't go back there. They're going to kill you. And he goes, I'm going. And Thomas is the one that said, let's go with them. We'll die with them. We call him Doubting Thomas, but at some points in his life, he was the one with the most faith, willing to die for Jesus. These 12 disciples, oh, I don't want to forget Matthew, the tax collector. He was seen as filth among his people because he was working for the Roman government that was oppressing his own people, and he was getting rich by the oppression of his own people. And Jesus called him and said, Matthew, you're a brick. Now, how do you think that went over with the other Jewish apostles? There's nothing you've done that Jesus can't bring back and build into his house. In fact, everything you've done, he can work together for good. The good of you and the bad of you. There was James, the son of Alphaeus, so that we wouldn't confuse him with the other James. There's Thaddeus, known as the disciple with three names. They called him Thaddeus, Judas, and Labaius. I think he was the first rapper because rappers have a lot of names. I don't have any historical or biblical information that can confirm that. I just like people with a lot of names. It takes all the bricks, and brick by brick, God is building his house, but bricks have to be bonded or the building is going to break. So the builder takes various bricks and he patterns them into the structure he wants them to be so that it's strong and that it stands and that it looks good. God's making us strong. He's making us to stand and he's making us look good. Oh, come Lord Jesus. First Corinthians said this, there's different kinds of spiritual gifts, but there's the same spirit is the source of them all. Different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does all the work. They're different bricks, different people, but God is building one church. And I mean this message for all generations, but it's true for Abundant and St. Mary's and First United Methodist and First Lockhart and the other 30, 35 churches meeting today, proclaiming the word of God in our community. God is building us into a holy building. 2 Corinthians 12, 18, our bodies have many parts. Our God is putting each one just where he wants it. How strange if a body only had one part. Yes, we are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The brick on the left wall can't say to the brick on the right wall, I don't need you. The brick that they stood up like this can't say to the brick that was stood up like this. What is that? The soldier and the header. I'm looking for extra points here right now. All right. The stretcher. You wouldn't do it that way. You'd do it this way. I mentioned my friend Scott from Howard Payne that took me in as an upperclassman and made me feel welcome, became one of my best friends. Well, one day we were building the mailbox at his house in Lockhart. He used to live in Cochier. Now he's off to other places. But he and an older man and me, we were going to put the bricks on the mailbox of his brand new house, but he The builders hadn't done it. He said, just leave me the bricks. We'll do it. I knew better. I just stayed and watched. To this day, if you talk to his wife, Christy, she'll show you a picture of that mailbox and how not so perfect it looked. Mortar going off this edge and mortar going off that edge and the slab wasn't very good. So now it's like the leaning tower of Lockhart mailbox. But we don't have a builder like that. But we do need to use mortar. I looked up what mortar was. It's cement with fine sand and water and lime. You can even add latex or polymer or cellulose derivatives to give it more flexibility. 
But mortar isn't just plain cement. And you guys that know about building, you put mortar between bricks. And when you add the water and the sand and the lime, the lime helps the sand stick to the cement. The cement is the strength, but those other things make it flexible so it can go in there. Because did you know this? I didn't, but I got a little nervous about my house. The house moves. More humidity, more weather, and it stretches. Less and it shrinks. No wonder I hear all that creaking. I thought it was just my ankles. Oh, it was my ankle. I just heard it right there. The house is actually breathing and moving. And because that cement has added those extra things to make mortar, the mortar binds the bricks together, but it also allows them to live, to breathe, to move. And I go, oh, Jesus, you're so smart when you use all these things in the Bible. And he's up there laughing like, yeah, Matt, even you kind of, sort of, maybe understand it. It's a new mixture, and it's pliable, and it takes time to harden. And that's what we got to realize, that as Jesus is placing us here, this building is going to move. There's going to be some times where like, oh, I'm stretching. Oh, I'm shrinking. Oh, what's this brick next to me? Of all the brick, could you imagine the brick turning his head? Of all the bricks that got put on my right-hand side, and the other bricks like, I can hear you, bro. I'm like, right here. Bricks have to be bonded or the building's going to break. So not only do they have to be positioned the right way, they have to be placed with mortar in between them. And I want to spend just a few minutes to talk about what I think we can see as the mortar in our life. It says in Acts chapter 242 that all the believers devoted themselves to this as the mortar. What's going to stick us together is the apostles' teaching. What pulls us apart is all our differences and how this isn't that. You don't look like me and you don't act like me and you don't talk like me. But what we have in common is the scripture. It tells us who we are, that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, that we all have a purpose, that God has a plan for us and he's ordering our steps, that Jesus came to save all of us, even the least, and that he was looking for us when we were the furthest away. The scripture is going to bind us together. The truth. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of bricks making up our own idea about how this ought to be built. But the scripture tells us how we ought to be built. And I don't have time today to go into it, but I'm excited about talking about it later and studying it, that love and patience and kindness helps us unify and be stuck together. It says that the apostles' teaching, listen, if we are not in the scripture, we're going to be arguing with God about how he's building it, and we're going to be arguing with Jesus about how he's doing it, and we're going to be arguing with each other, requesting a new brick, sending a new load. I don't want to be with this guy. We need the scriptures to bond us together. You know what else they did? It was fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Think of a person that before you knew them, you thought one thing about them, but then when you heard your story, you're like, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think of many stories that I'm privileged to hear because of this position that I have trying to minister in a church, and I get to sit down with people, and they get to tell me a little bit about their history, and I'm like, wow. 
Sometimes even in our own families, we don't have that time. But when we hear someone's story, that fellowship of getting to know them, then that's why we realize that's why they lock their door. That's why they're always looking like that. I have a relative that's in the army, and if he comes to visit, he sits in the back of the restaurant, and I'm talking to him, and he's just looking like this. He knows how many people are there. He knows where his uh, concealed carry is. He knows where the exit is. He knows who's looking funny. I'm just like, bro, they got good salsa here. It's going to be awesome. But his experience, his deployments, they give him a different perspective in life. He looks a little jittery to me, but then I hear his story. I'm like, I don't want to eat anywhere without you. Could you be my bodyguard? The story makes all the difference, doesn't it? What about the sharing of meals and the Lord's Supper? More than just an acquaintance, when you eat with somebody, that's when the stories start coming and the fellowship starts coming. They devoted themselves to these things and to prayer. We need to be doing these things to be built together, to not just be a solo brick and to not just be bricks stacked on each other because if the bricks aren't bonded, the building's going to break. But if the bond is Jesus, the disciples teaching, the fellowship, the sharing of the meals and prayer together, it's going to bond us together. It says that a deep sense of awe came over them and all the apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders. When we come in here, we need to remember where we were and where we are now and the miracles that we've seen, healings in this very place. Some of us are just a miracle that we're still alive and that we're in a church. There's been miracles. We've seen them. And all the believers met together in one place and shared what they have. We need to share experiences. We need to... Share our efforts. I'm so glad for friends that when I'm just stuck on the side of the road and don't know what to do, they're like, I'll bring you a fuel filter or gas for your car, Matt. That might be the problem. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They cared enough about the other person that even if it cost them something, they would spend it to help the other person. I know people like that. They've spent their life or their time or their money or their talent to help me, and I want to be the same. That bonds us together, doesn't it? They worship together at the temple each day. Oh, don't fall into this idea that nobody's going to miss you if you're not at the worship service. We need you. We need to hear your voice, see your face, know that we're in this together. My worst day, I need to go, man, I'm not the only one running this race. There's a bunch of other brickheads, I mean bricks, that are, that are running it too, and they're singing. They shared their meals with joy and generosity, all the while praising God and the, enjoying the goodwill of people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. You want the kingdom of God to grow? We need to be bound together in love and in these ways, and then God will add people to us. I think there's some bricks waiting just down the road, just in our future, but God's getting us ready to receive them into this building. But we've got to be ready. We've got to be enjoying the goodwill, and we've got to be letting the Lord add to those. We're not going to come up with the program that pierces hearts and changes people's minds and brings brickets in. God's going to do that, but we're going to be part of it by speaking and preaching and loving and creating. I mean, you're looking at me. Do I look like I have the master plan? Get your eyes checked. Did you, I mean, is that the first thing you think of, Matt? Oh! The chosen one. He knows all things. No. Now we're going to 
work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to stay true to the word of God and devotion to each other and share meals and fellowship. But God's going to add if this church gets added to. But let's be a place that welcomes the addition. I'm just imagining. I got I to gotta finish up. We're going to do a couple other things. But I just imagine the brick comes in. This is the brick that's been lost in the pile for a long. He almost was part of us. And then he went over here and got lost in the pile. And then the brick, after weeks of going, the Lord talking to him, you need to go back to church. You need, they need you over there. You need, finally gets himself up on a Sunday. Goes to the car and then back in the house. I'm not going. And the Lord goes, you need to go. I'm going. He drives halfway and he goes, no, I'm not going. He's going back. And through all the battle and all the trouble and all the rubbish that he has to leave behind, the brick makes it to church. And when he sees me, I need to say, it's so good to see you. So glad you're here. But what would pop up in my mind? Look what the cat drug in. As if cats can drag bricks. Well, don't think about it. We got to be careful that we're binding and not separating. That we've been praying. If I've been praying for this brick, when I see him, I might just even start crying. I might go and have no dumb words to say. Just hug him. And that prayer has bound me to that brother or sister that's coming. But if I'm not careful and I'm not being bound and I'm not in prayer and I'm not in fellowship and I'm not in the word of God, then I'm going to say all the dumb stuff. Oh, I just mean it in love, brother. If you've ever felt like the brick that came home and you just got hit with a hammer and told to leave, then I apologize. We're not perfect yet, but the Lord's going to make us into something. It says they shared in the meals and the Lord's Supper. So we're going to end our service today by doing that, by sharing the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. They'll play. The ushers are going to get ready and serve us. But I want to tell you, this is what binds us together more than anything. Because if the bricks aren't bound, then the building's going to break. And Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. So that means he is binding the bricks together. And you can shake enough of the earth to knock a regular building down, even if it's built so well. An earthquake can do it. But the Bible says that God's going to shake everything that can be shaken, but the things of him are going to stand, and even the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So our builder is building something that's going to last. Y'all can go ahead and start serving them. So here's our hope, that we have a builder that knows how to build even what will withstand the gates of hell. And here's where we can bring any brick into the house. Because at the table of the Lord's Supper, it's Jesus' blood poured out to cleanse all of us. And no one can stand at the end and say, I didn't need his blood. I was already clean. Young and old, faithful or unfaithful, Jew or Gentile, good or bad, we all are the same at the table. We need the blood of Jesus to wash over us and cleanse us. And at the table, we're all equal. We're all equally loved by God, enough that he would shed his blood to redeem us back into his building, into his house, into his family. So the best of us or the worst of us today, when we come to the table, that binds us together because it's only Jesus that saves us by his blood. Otherwise, we pay our own price. But also at the table, every brick is the same because it's his body that's broken as the new covenant. It's his body that's broken for the forgiveness of sins. And he died for all, for his inheritance. Thank you. 
I don't know what kind of brick. I don't know. It's the 4th of July weekend, and I'm proud to be here and proud to be an American. But there was people in heaven before America was even founded. There's bricks that don't say made in America up in heaven. There's every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And I want to be right up there representing the great state of Texas and Lockhart, the 644, bro. And Texas and America. But I want to be, I'm bought with the blood of the Lamb. I'm at the table because of the broken body of Jesus. And the person that comes from that nation or that side of the street or that economic bracket or that race or that gender, that person gets to God through the same table. We're all equal in our need for the Lord and we're all equal that he loves us. And so today, let's fellowship with the Lord's Supper. The Bible says on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you, taken and eat it in remembrance of me. So Lord, today we remember your body was broken. All of us deserve death, but you paid the price for our life. We remember your body today. We come to your table. Bind us together in love. It says on the same night, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. When you're a brick on the side of the wall, you feel like you're a little bit better or a little bit worse than the brick next to you, I want you to remember that the blood washes all of us and we become living stones in the Lord's temple. And it doesn't take six ounces of blood for me and seven for you. It takes the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, we remember that we were bought with a price. You shed your blood that we wouldn't have to. We ask you to bind us together We plead the blood of the Lamb over your church in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing the verse and chorus of just one song real briefly. I want you to reflect today, and I want to ask you if you're connected. And I want to ask you to think about a commitment. Would you commit yourself to the apostles' teaching. Would you determine today, Lord, I'm going to get into your word even more than I am now, whether you're at zero or at 10. Lord, I want to be devoted to your word. Could you be devoted to fellowship, meeting up with people, maybe just one person for coffee, somebody for breakfast, maybe the next family fun night, maybe come a little early and sit in the coffee lounge. Maybe call a friend, just have a good conversation. Could you commit yourself to the fellowship? Would you be willing to commit yourself to sharing a meal? Could we become a church where the culture is, if we see somebody new, seven people are inviting them to dinner, to lunch, if Matt ever quits preaching. Like, look, if Matt quits preaching today, will you go to lunch with me? And the guy goes, I don't know, seven people ask me, where are you going? Wouldn't it be awesome if a visitor was like, I just need to see where we're all going? Are you going to Blacks or Christ or whatever? Could you imagine a visitor having so many options? You know, if I was a visitor, I'd be like, hey, I'm going with this guy today, but what about next week? (laughs) Could we be the people that would share meals with each other? Could you invite somebody from church to your house? And could we be a people of prayer? 
where we're not just praying, Lord, help me, but where I'm saying, Lord, bless CJ, bless Ernest, bless the Riveras, bless the Browns, bless Miss Esther. He didn't say my name. I'm working on it. I got a lot of bricks around here. Let's pray and sing this song. Lord, we ask you to bind us together. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.